0: Uh, there are many wicked problems now these wicked or complex problems around us for example dealing with hunger eradication of poverty achieving equality achieving sustainable development goals and solutions to these problems are believe me not easy and herein um, entrepreneurship can be a potential solution Women are still lagging behind men in terms of launching businesses so whether it's a developed country or it's a developing country there are barriers that still exist women do pursue goals which are uh, beyond the just the for profit goals women uh, are more inclined towards socially beneficial uh, ventures
1: imagine a world without entrepreneurs for starters the world's economy would grind to a halt and let's face it so would life as we know it but who gets to be an entrepreneur According to the World Bank, just one in three businesses globally is owned by a woman. And in South Asia, that figure is as low as 18%. Sikh University School of Business and Law Academic, Dr. Vanita Yadav is a lecturer in innovation and entrepreneurship. She's led research exploring the barriers women face to launching startups and how they've been able to overcome them. Vanita's based in Sydney, but originally from India, and she's just published a book about female entrepreneurship in her home country. On this episode of Sikh University's Impact Research Podcast, Vanita explains the cultural and social expectations that hold women back from taking the leap into entrepreneurship, and how the right support and education can boost female-led businesses into the big time. In the spirit of reconciliation, CQ University recognises this episode was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation in Sydney and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Melbourne.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Dr Vinita Yadav. I am a lecturer of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at the Central Queensland University. I work with the School of Business and Law. And my research and teaching interests are in the area of innovation and entrepreneurship.
1: You're also an author, Vanita. Congratulations on your new book. And it's based on years of your research into how women, um, specifically in India, can become entrepreneurs. So what first attracted you to that topic?
0: Thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, Yes, our book is based on our research project, and this was a large project which was funded by the Indian Council of Social Sciences Research. It was a competitive national level grant that we won. And that's the book that I have with me in my hand. And uh, the project was spread over three years. And uh, eventually it led to an interesting book writing journey that lasted for another two years. Uh, so what attracted me to this topic was, well, uh, there has been a growing momentum in the entrepreneurship space. And what I uncovered was, Despite the interest in all this entrepreneurial activity worldwide, majority of new businesses are started by men rather than women, even though half of the world's population is women. So this got me curious. And the more I reflected on why there is a gap in entrepreneurial activity, the more I got interested in this area. And hence the project and the book. (laughs) It it sounds
1: that initial discovery must have felt very frustrating. Uh, Like you say, you know, women represent half the world, so why aren't we represented in that space? Um, Was it just the numbers or were you seeing entrepreneurial women around you or yourself even who were trying to get into that space and, and hitting brick walls?
0: Oh, it's very. Really cool. It's thank. Thank you for raising that question. It's 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 not really a simple question to answer. It's not just just the numbers because numbers are the symptoms. To dig deeper, to dwell into a topic, and to uncover why, was really revelatory.
1: I can imagine that's the approach of any entrepreneur as well. When you're starting with a big idea, you want all those why questions answered. Um, Had you had experience of entrepreneurship yourself or um, where had you seen its biggest impact around you? Uh,
0: So apart from just the teaching and research that I do as an academic here, I've had two personal experiences in entrepreneurship till now. Uh, Well, the first one was... uh, when I was given the responsibility to launch and set up a center for social entrepreneurship at my previous work organization in India. It's something like uh, intrapreneurship that we call, and it's, it's nothing but in simple words, it, it implies that starting a new enterprise within the confines of a traditional form, and which was higher education institution in my case, So like any new startup, I experienced the process of hiring a team, organizing resources, setting up an office space, marketing, rolling out center activities. It did take some time. We had our ups and downs to get things off the ground. But once we were up and running, we could clearly see the impact that we were generating in terms of uh, encouraging, supporting, and even incubating some student-run startups that were tackling uh, very uh, complex problems, which were social in nature. My uh, second experience was working as a freelance higher education consultant. And all my experience in this area confirms my belief that uh, there are many wicked problems. Now, these wicked or complex problems around us uh, will be uh, many. For example, dealing with hunger, eradication of poverty, achieving equality, achieving Sustainable development goals and solutions to these problems are, believe me, not easy. They are not linear. Rather, one has to take a very systemic approach, and herein, in uh, entrepreneurship, can be a potential solution. It's
1: interesting you connect entrepreneurship with solving those world problems when you first looked at those numbers of new startups and how many were led by men were those the types of things that were aiming to solve those big wicked problems as you say or do you think um, women are the ones who tend to go more into that solving wicked problems
0: uh, the, we don't have really conclusive evidence on this, but having said that, in our research and in our study, we find that women do pursue goals which are uh, beyond the just the for-profit goals. They are more inclined. There is some research in this area as well, which says that women uh, are more inclined towards socially beneficial uh, ventures. So, having said that, there is no conclusive. Uh, thought around whether it's only men or women, whatever the case, I think uh, we need more people joining the bandwagon rather than uh, creating a divide <laughs> in terms of uh, who, who's doing that more. So I've just turned your question around. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm not really. No, it's, it's good it, to yes, know that yes,
1: all are welcome. Yes, um, yes. And back to what you what you did find, yes, that, that may not be um, a conclusive answer that the world of research can provide yet. But in what you found, what were the big surprises for you about female entrepreneurs and what they were achieving in that field?
0: In fact, there have been multiple surprises in our journey. And uh, uh, we, in our study, since it was a large study, we looked at uh, data which was from a macro as well as a micro perspective. And so let's begin with the macro uh, thoughts here. For us, it was, the national data sets of India. And we found that there is a gender lacuna in the national level data sets. So in the past also, if you look at World Bank, they've also been flagging this and have issued unanimous calls in terms of uh, a country led approach to collect sex disaggregated data that can allow measurement of differences between men and women on various social and uh, economic dimensions, because it'll help obtain a better gender statistics which can help inform policy uh, in a more holistic and inclusive manner. And so in our book, we do recommend and state that there is a need for systematic, large-scale national database with basic data on uh, gender, social, family, and educational background of the entrepreneur, which was missing. Without such background information, research in this area is severely limited Okay, and,
1: that doesn't exist in India, where your research was focused. Is is it something that other regions in the world do, and yeah. and and what difference does that make?
0: So, if you look at it, uh, there is this uh, general data lack, you know, across the globe. So it's a, it's a general problem across the globe. So if if you were to look at, and this is more of a problem in terms of uh, developing countries. So that's that's the big idea here, and. Uh, if we drill down to some other things that we found. And we found that from a micro perspective when we interviewed many successful women and we conducted a survey of young women. So we looked at a spectrum. There were successful women who had already established. The other spectrum was young aspiring girls studying in universities. And uh, we wanted to understand what uh, were their perspective on this. To our surprise, we find that majority of women who are enrolled in universities in India we were less inclined to pursue entrepreneurship as compared to men. They mainly wanted a stable high salary job after completing university education. In fact, the higher the degree, the higher is the interest in a secured salary job. Uh, to a great extent, and uh, it's a reflection of the socio-economic fabric of the country, where a stable job or even getting married for women after university education is considered as an acceptable norm. Uh, there is also an influence, uh, we, in, uh, in our study, we find there is an influence of social and economic class that shapes the intentions of uh, women and even men in society. So. Uh, growing a business is not really a priority uh, in the growing indian middle class this is just an example that i'm giving you rather investing in human capital like education of children healthcare is considered as a priority and this is likely to influence and shape career intentions of this segment of the society we also did some myth busting so let me just share this uh-huh. with you yeah so there is this perspective or uh, notion Uh, that in developing world, per se, mainly, it's been there in the Western part of the globe as well, but a lot has been said and written. But uh, let's come back to the context of India. Women are more suited for small-scale beauty parlor kind of businesses, or women mainly launch small-scale bakery businesses. But our research has provided evidence that this is not the case. This is absolutely not true. So women in South Asian countries, including India, are launching businesses in diverse sectors ranging from manufacturing, which is a male-dominated area, to healthcare, high technology, transportation, and others. And our book is full of case studies of many such women entrepreneurs in every chapter. And we offer practical recommendations for aspiring girls there.
1: As you said, it's those women in those case studies have, must have already really pushed back against those social pressures just to get that safe job and to get married, uh, to, to go out there and be entrepreneurial. Do you have a favourite case study or um, any woman in, within the book who really overcame a lot to make that happen?
0: Oh, well, I won't really be doing justice if I pick up a favorite one. (laughs) Uh, So let me put it this way or more holistically. uh, I think nearly every woman, because they were coming from different sectors, their barriers that they had to overcome, the challenges that they had to overcome were different. They were different for each one of them. In addition, they came from different strata of the society. So, they, so some of them, let's say, were coming from upper class. So it was easier for them to launch a business. They were having um, role models, let's say, their own parents being in the business. So it's easier from, for women from this, those backgrounds to launch a business versus somebody who is the first in their society, in their village or in their community to be an entrepreneur not only to be an entrepreneur, but the first one to get a degree or a postgraduate degree, and then now being a serial entrepreneur. So there is a huge variation that we've seen. So, and and the barriers, we can't really uh, box the barriers because India is a very uh, diverse country and there is caste and class and there are lots of socioeconomic divides also. So those also in a way impact the upbringing of an individual's access to opportunities Access to education, how they grow and how they work up.
1: It's interesting that you say, yeah, that that, that very specific um, social situation in India really shapes the the entrepreneurial journeys of individuals. Um, What about the lessons to draw from your research at, at a more global perspective? Do you think that the challenges women are facing in India relate to a more international perspective?
0: Uh, to some extent, yes, but it varies from country to country. We can't really uh, box things, but you say we can say that because the cultural and the hierarchies and the social class system in some of the South Asian countries is somewhat similar, a woman's role or the informal institutions, how, what's the acceptable norm is somewhat similar in, in countries of those regions. So that. So our study and our findings will mainly apply to them. Versus, if we were to contrast with something like more in the West or let's say the US, uh, there uh, there is more. The society gives a little different kind of uh, exposure to women. They have greater choices. The opportunities are different. So they so they have uh, the path that they follow is slightly more diverse. So there is no one size fit all. Having said that. Overall, all across the globe, there is still enough evidence which still states that women are still lagging behind men in terms of launching businesses. So whether it's a developed country or it's a developing country, there are barriers that still exist. The barriers vary from country to country, but they do exist.
1: Well, that it's good to have identified and obviously there's a lot more work to do. And yeah. let's let's flip to Australia, Vanita, because you lecture in innovation and entrepreneurship here at CQ Uni. Um, what sort of people who are your students are, are attracted to entrepreneurship and have you seen any shifts in the time that you've been teaching and researching in the space?
0: Uh, in the School of Business and Law, we offer many courses on uh, innovation and entrepreneurship, and uh, and uh, I've been coordinating and teaching both at the undergrad and the postgrad level. Uh, and there is interestingly a lot of diversity in my students, so who are interested in this area. So if I were to talk about this, just to give an example, there is a good mix of students from uh, diverse backgrounds in terms of age groups. So we have 20 year olds, we also have people in late 40s. There's a good gender mix. We have students from different ethnicities, different nationalities. We have domestic as well as international students. And uh, they've shown great interest in studying entrepreneurship. And to the extent that uh, despite the impact of COVID-19, enrollments in my undergrad entrepreneurship course has remained absolutely stable, it's increased over the last 2 years so which is a clear indicator of increased interest in this area
1: in, and do you yeah. think covid-19 might be driving that as well the pandemic has made people realize you need to be flexible and agile in your career
0: it could be uh, a, a driver as well but having said that we we still had substantial interest in this topic Prior to COVID, and it's just my, it's it's somewhat a similar trend that we've seen now. But yes, I think it, it could be a driver for a lot of people uh, interested in this. And not only that, a lot of people are interested in pursuing research degrees. So uh, there are. Uh, I'm also supervising research higher degree students in this area. Uh, so given the interest, I've initiated two RST projects in this area, and we've got good response and student interest. So not only undergrad, but also postgrad and research degrees. Oh, so that's awesome. a whole gamut, yeah. <laughs> that
1: is yeah. good to know. That is a lot of entrepreneurial people. Um, yeah. And yourself obviously have pursued research um, around the world. In 2012, 2013, you were a Fulbright visiting scholar um, at MIT in the U.S., So focusing in that part of the world on entrepreneurship and sustainable development, did that change how you thought about female entrepreneurs back in your home country?
0: great question. Uh, Let me begin with the Fulbright first, because that's like absolutely a life changing moment for nearly everyone. So trust me, every Fulbright alumnus you meet across the global share a similar view that a Fulbright experience is a life changing journey, both at a personal level, but also at a professional level. Likewise, my story has been uh, similar and uh, my experience as a Fulbright postdoctoral research scholar at MIT was extremely insightful. And I could see differences in terms of perspectives and the trajectories uh, of entrepreneurship in the US as compared to my own experience in India. And it nearly boils down to differences in culture, differences in society that we see around us, differences in the economy. And in addition, if you look at MIT, which is very different from the other educational institutions in the U.S., it's 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 a hotbed of innovative thinking. So they have a very different culture embedded in uh, the Boston area or the Cambridge area, if you may say, and which has evolved over the years. It's really matured. So the ecosystem and culture they both act as a catalyst, and this is clearly evident if you look at the number of entrepreneurs that MIT has produced, the impact of MIT in terms of increasing number of entrepreneurs in the U.S. per se has been phenomenal. So that's all boils down to how much of uh, mature that culture has become. Comparing that with what I've seen and experienced in India is that the work culture, the society's perspective on accepting whether entrepreneurship can be a viable career is not really fully developed. There is generally a preference for stable salary jobs, irrespective of whether you're a woman or a man. Further, there are we have certain voids in institutions. There are gaps in the ecosystems. There are resource constraints. There are certain beliefs and norms that define a socially acceptable behavior. And this all shapes an individual's role in society. However, I do acknowledge that over the years there has been tremendous growth in entrepreneurial activity in India, and including women becoming entrepreneurs, that's what our research also provides evidence. And this is a trend which is likely to increase, but still there is a lot more to be done.
1: Well, hopefully your research and your book feeds into that increase. What are you hoping will be the impact of the work you've done there?
0: If you look at the major part of the multidimensional nature of the problem, is the social and the family circumstances that influence women entrepreneurship. Let's say in the because the book deals with the developing country context. Now, women in all societies, whether it's developed or developing, perform a social reproduction function. In our book, that's why in addition to just pure gender, we've, uh, we've used the lens of class, social and economic class, and highlight the rising Indian middle class. So which has in a way shaped the society's norms, and which will, in a way, enable the growth of entrepreneurship in the country. So our book will help explain what motivates, uh, what opportunities do women pursue. For example, let me just give you an example here. Entrepreneurship can result from necessity as well as opportunity. And uh, women, we find that are pursuing goals beyond economic gains that I'd mentioned earlier. We find that having a social support network is extremely critical, which is critical for women in developed countries also because you need a social support network, receiving some form of mentoring, whether it's formal or informal. The levels of mentoring in the developed world is slightly more higher and more evolved as compared to what we see in the developing nations. Access to entrepreneurship education. Now, this has really grown across the globe. However, there are still pockets of the world which do not have access to good entrepreneurship education and which is limited to, let's say, larger public universities or private universities. Presence of role models will definitely help. We saw that in our case studies. So these are the crucial factors. And uh, in our book, we towards the end, we provide a framework. So we try and create an ecosystem framework, e- framework for ecosystem building which highlight the way forward. And this framework will offer insights to not only India, but for policy and practice in other countries of South Asian region, like Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, Bhutan, Nepal and Maldives. So that's that's a big takeaway from our study.
1: Wow. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) building ecosystems, I guess, is is very theoretical probably in the heads of a lot of people like how how have you seen that most effectively done is it happened in your own experience on a small scale or a big one where you've seen the impacts
0: uh, it it starts it's it's, it's got to be a bottom down and a top up approach top down approach so it can't really be a just a small scale yes But it has to be enabled through certain uh, policy measures or mechanisms that we provide. Otherwise, the trickle down doesn't really happen. And likewise, we need to instigate or garner support at the bottom level also, so that uh, there is space in the society for this thing to flourish. That's how one can develop uh, this thought. Otherwise, if it's just uh, one way down, I don't think it will be a success.
1: Well, let's look at top down. Is there a policy that you would love to see that could change and empower more female entrepreneurs um, in the regions you've studied?
0: Yes, I think there is still there is there has to be a little bit of sensitization training in terms of when you speak with women, when you encourage them. There are a lot of women who are so uh, afraid to even approach institutions. That institution, that fear of approaching an institution, which is which it instills a lot of fear. So those barriers have to be brought down. How will you do that? You need to educate, and when you and who's going to come to educate the all the men that are there in those institutions. And so, so it begins with sensitized gender sensitization training of the men who are there. How is it that they can talk to uh, women so that they feel comfortable in terms of coming ahead in terms of seeking whether it's a mentoring support or it's a financial support. So, so that's that's uh, that's uh, that's one way to look at it but that's for one strata of society because uh, it, it, if you look at the uh, country wise uh, majority of the developing countries have certain pockets which are extremely advanced and there are majority of the pockets which are quite backward mm-hmm. so for uh, the backward places this kind of training is really going to help the, the areas which are extremely advanced, those women have already from through, uh, through support networks that exist in their own family environments. So that has impacted, so for them, education, having uh, compulsory education or having access to, or maybe freer education, some kind of subsidy in terms of understanding what's the process, that's going to really help. It's not that uh, there are no policies in place. There are subsidies in place for women who start enterprises. But the question, important question here is how many are accessing them and how many are even aware of them? And in our study, we find that many of the women we talk to, they were not even aware of things like this. So when they're not even aware, how will they even approach? it? So there is a gap. I mean, it's, there's a clear gap that's there.
1: You've summed that up really well, that there is so much to overcome and it does come down to just... Yeah, getting the word out there and education, as you say. Entrepreneurship has shifted so much with the explosion of tech, with our digital world. Uh, What do you think the next big shift for entrepreneurship is and especially uh, for the women who are driving it?
0: Uh, Undoubtedly, women uh, business owners are making significant contributions to economy and to the society worldwide, and we will see this trend continue uh, going forward. Till date, majority of the work across the globe has been just around encouraging women to start a business. The next shift will be in changing the conversation towards uh, encouraging more opportunity driven businesses. So these will be the women who pursue high growth, high impact businesses. So this is going to be a thrust area where opportunity will imply that it fills a market gap, it addresses a real world problem, or it could be a totally innovative product or a service of the future.
1: That's Dr. Vanita Yadav, looking forward to a bright future where an inclusive ecosystem supports female innovators to thrive. Vanita's book is called Women Entrepreneurship in the Indian Middle Class, Interdisciplinary Perspectives. It's published by Orient Blackswan and it's available on Amazon. This is the final episode of Impact Research Podcast for Series 2. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to all our fascinating researchers who shared their work in this series. Make sure you're following Seeker University podcasts to be the first to know about new podcast series from Seeker University, where research makes real impact.